0: This week in our Ask Us Anything segment, we answer a couple questions about your stock portfolio, including how many stocks you should own and the simple process of constructing an equity portfolio. We also have two Your Stock Our Take segments for your listening pleasure. Our first Your Stock Our Take this week came in from a listener on Hollister Biosciences, symbol H-O-L-L on the CNX, which operates as a licensed manufacturer and distributor of recreational cannabis and cannabis products and distributes its products through an arrangement with cannabis distributor to licensed cannabis vendors in California and Arizona. The listener believes the company uh, is significantly undervalued. We will let you know if we agree or not. Our second art, your stock art take, comes in on HPQ Silicone Resources Inc., symbol HPQ on the TSX Venture, a Quebec-based silicone solutions company that offers innovative silica, silicon-based solutions, and is developing a unique portfolio of high-value added silicon products sought after by battery and electric vehicle manufacturers. We take a quick look at the business and the valuations here. I'd like to welcome this week my co-host Brennan and Aaron. How are you guys doing? Salutations. Welcome
1: to both of you. Good, good, good. We, yeah, uh, we just got we, through an election here once again. So
0: big changes. Yeah, I would say huge. Well, <laughs> yeah. not much change. Huge waste of time and money. That's all I'll really say about that. But I think you've got a couple uh, things you want to touch on there.
1: Oh, I just—I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, not—not not, not a big surprise to me. Another liberal minority government. Um, I think we all know the the election was completely, you know, unnecessary. I, it's not even really something that needs to be discussed. It's just what changes is is what we're going to see potentially going forward. And I would be a little bit concerned in a situation like this if the NDP, which didn't really gain much ground, I think that they may have, they gained a seat. Um, if the Liberals continue to have to work with them, what I'm interested in seeing, what I'm hoping I don't see is that the Liberals will move f- further towards their uh, towards their um, their platform and you know specifically for um, for investors for the stock market one of the things that the NDP proposed was an increase in the capital gains um, tax from uh, 50% to 75 so that's that's a percentage of capital gains that would be added to your regular income and tax at your at your regular rate right now it's 50% the NDP wants to raise that to 75% yeah. i don't think that's I mean, a good thing mean the basic taxation I don't think of that's a good uh, thing for uh, of for capital investors. gains, is crazy. I, I believe that in Canada, we really need to we really need to encourage and incentivize good decisions and investment. And I don't think increasing the capital gains rate is going to bring in a lot of money into the into the tax into the tax coffers. And I think it can really discourage investment once again and just encourage consumption, which is I think really we want to do. The opposite, right? And having a healthy financial system, investment market, people saving money and investing money for their own to to manage their own retirement or hit goals in the future. That's something that's really important. So you know, there is talk that one of the things that the liberals could potentially do is uh, is is adopt that that policy. And there's some other policies as well that, uh, like such as the wealth tax. I don't know if we really want to get into that, but the NDP propose one uh, percent wealth tax on um, people with net worth of of 10 million or over so that would be a pretty monumental change in the canadian tax system i'm not necessarily expecting that the liberals would adopt that i think that that would be pretty extreme um the enforcement of that i think would be a massive and, and the wealth tax once again it's it's i don't believe in and i believe in incentivizing good decisions right so when somebody Earns the money, they pay tax on the money that they earn, they invest the money, they pay tax on the returns of those investments, they save the money. Should they then also have to pay taxes just on on the money that they've accumulated over time? I mean how many times are you gonna tax the same dollars? So other countries have tried the wealth tax uh, in Europe. Uh, the majority of them ended up abandoning it because it the enforcement was was a major issue. Um, the the, it didn't bring in as much money as as what was initially predicted. Some of the company countries still continue to to do it, like Norway, Switzerland. In some cases, it's it's voluntary disclosure, so there's not really an enforcement issue. I'm not sure how the the voluntary disclosure exactly how it works. You would just you know trust that people are, are providing you with with the right information. But um, I really think that uh, that. What we need to focus on is long-term prosperity and encouraging people to uh, invest, invest in themselves, uh, invest in in the market, um, save, and be more self-sufficient. And there's there's this populist narrative around the upper uh, the upper income bracket individuals not paying their fair share, and this is something that we see in the NDP. I, and I don't. I'm not want to talk about you know who people should vote for. I'm just giving my opinion on specific policy matters. Um, we see in the NDP they talk a lot about you know the top income brackets not paying their fair share. The Liberals do it as well. Clearly, I think that people that are making money should pay uh, should pay tax, should contribute. But the idea in Canada, anyways, and I'm not talking about any information that's coming from the US there's always I think people get information from the US and up here we just assume that it works the same way here I'm talking Canada specifically the narrative that upper income uh, brackets don't pay their fair share is just it's just completely false so I I did a little bit of research you can go to Statistics Canada you can get uh, the exact figures on the percentage of total tax revenue that comes from each uh, income bracket so for instance, the top 1%, the top 10%, and you can see what percentage of total tax revenue they, that, that bracket is contributing uh, provincially and federally. So if you just wanna talk about the top 1%, um, so the top 1%, which is, we'll just look at the numbers here. I believe that, so this is as of 2018, um, these figures, but the top 1%, I believe, is uh, over $255,000 a year. And those one percent of income earners pay over twenty percent of total tax revenue that comes in to the into the country, both both federally and provincially. Total income tax. Um, this this wouldn't include any any GST. So one percent of the top the top one percent pay over twenty percent of the tax. Uh, the top ten percent, so this is income over ninety six thousand a year as of twenty eighteen, pay fifty five percent of the tax. Of the total total income tax, so it's 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 pretty clear that you know upper income people are paying a lot of tax in Canada, and they 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 are paying their fair share. I'm not necessarily pay, arguing that they need to pay substantially less. That's a totally different argument, but certainly the narrative that you know when you're talking about you know we need to tax upper income people more. Um, so that we can help the middle class out. Well, first we should really define what the middle class is because if you look at the top 10%, um, $96,000 and up as of 2018, I mean, what 96000 is worth as an income really depends a lot on where you live. I mean, if you live in some parts of Canada, you're doing great. If you live in some of the higher, um, higher cost parts of Canada, like Vancouver and Toronto, you're you're not even really able to buy a house. Well, you're not able to buy a house, and you could you may be struggling to even buy a condominium. So, I I, I don't like the populism. I like straight facts. I like real facts. But I mean, I realize this is how politics is done nowadays. Um, and just as as another note, the bottom 50 percent of income earners. So these are people as of 2018 that were paying less than 36 thousand dollars a year. Uh, the percentage of total right? income tax that they provide. To the coffers, both federally and provincially, is 5%. So, you know, clearly there's a big disparity between what is being told and what the actual facts are. And I just think that whatever your opinion is, whoever you want to vote for, I don't like to get too much into politics. Um, I, I don't tell people who to vote for, but I do think that it's important to understand, you know, the facts. And you want to incentivize people to do well, you don't want to, want to incentivize people to want to add value, um, build businesses you know generate more and better products um, and make money and and invest you want you want to incentivize good choices and I think that that's something that politicians need to focus on more as opposed to just the populism that we're seeing nowadays but yeah i'm I'm certainly not hopeful that that's going to happen as as a matter of fact I'm quite certain that it won't
0: Yeah. And and certainly closing loopholes, for example, the ultra rich is something that most of us can get that help them avoid taxes, something we can get behind. But again, it's probably a nuanced argument and nobody wants to hear a nuanced argument today. But the taxation you're talking about, the NDP proposals there, um, that amounts to double taxation. You talked about this wealth tax, capital gains, money that is the sitting government, whoever it is, has already had its hands on. It's taken a share. Uh, the NDP are looking to take more of that money and, and that, you know, that money is used to create jobs and more wealth if it's invested. And it's just, to me, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. And it's, it's poorly thought out policy. There are other ways to do that. You can do a consumption tax, you know, we, I mean, we could go on and on about this, but I'll just, I'll just is,
1: note yeah, on the consumption tax as well is that here in North America or in Canada, anyways, the, the. Parties that are more on the left in terms of, and I don't mean slightly left of center. I mean that that are that would consider themselves more socialist, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: tend to be against the VAT taxes. Tend to be against things like GST because they think that it impacts. They would call it regressive. They think that it impacts lower income people more. Um, but if you look, but then they will also hold up examples like places like um, like Sweden as a great example of uh, of a social democracy that we should aspire to but if you look at those places i mean they do have high income taxes but they have extremely high fat taxes as well and that's a major source of their revenue too so it's it's um it, you know a lot of times you're 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 hearing people yeah, I mean, argue with facts that aren't really facts or, or things you know making points that they don't completely understand
0: I mean, we could get into this and go further and deeper down the rabbit hole. I mean, my stance would more be reducing personal taxes, having a higher VAT or consumption tax. But I mean, the, again, those are not on the table for any. I, I don't see those arguments anywhere, and uh, it's you know, it seems to be either some new ideas or people want just you know that they want the big quote tax the ultra rich and okay, let's move on. And it's it, you know, the discussion needs to be a little more detailed than that and uh, you know double taxation of capital gains and like increasing we talked about increasing the room for the TFSA those things are huge those aren't for the ultra rich that's for average Canadians that's for all of us out there who are looking to you know to invest and grow their capital and you know it's something that our clients can use the larger uh, capital gains or larger uh, sorry TFSA contribution would be a great thing for for uh, investment for the little guy, not for the ultra rich. But anyways.
1: I'll just say, if anybody wants to take a look at the data that I was talking about, about percentage of income tax paid, um, you can go onto the StatsCan website. The best way, just Google high income tax filers in Canada and that'll bring up. Yeah, the and maybe so we'll have
0: uh Yelena or Brennan tw- tweet that For out, sure. like just a link to it. So yeah, it'd be a lot of, easy to do that if we can remember that. I'm I'm gonna Brennan, you don't want to talk anymore about this, do you?
2: Uh not overly. I'm gonna
0: move on. <laughs> Aaron, you got nothing else, right? hot like hockey season is here now. I'm far more excited about that at this point. And locally our Canucks head coach Travis Green has his troops running through their annual rite of passage. It's a bag skate. It produced at least one puker, and we've seen images all over uh, Twitter and social media about that. Another Kanaka ca- uh, that shall name, well, we're not name him, Oli Ulevi, uh was rolling around in the corner in starfish position uh, just yesterday. So I remember back when we bag researched Brennan through about a thousand stocks on Cedar, and when he... Started and he started kind of going into the corner. He went down, tried to lay down in fetal position, and done. With Aaron was just all over yeah. him. Um, we accept none of that around here, and I just wanted our, our listeners to know that uh, you know we go through a thousand companies and we're not rolling around in the corner. So definitely, not. those images were kind of stark to see, right? Yeah. Well, even, Brennan uh, tried. You remember that, right, Aaron?
2: I, I tried.
1: Oh, I he tried. tried.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't let him. But as as a veteran.
1: I get, it was almost like a drill sergeant like you'd see like, a, like yes, one of those movies yes. on like drill camp at the marines like one of the one of the new recruits he's having a tough time <laughs> he drops on the ground and the drill sergeant's just right over top of him screaming and in his say, face like, yeah yeah get back on he, got, he got you got that You got him
0: in line and, yeah. Yeah. basically
2: i mean you yeah. guys always but do hey, with me into into shape um but yeah i really got
1: the job done though
2: exactly and that is the key i always yeah. do uh, get the job done um
1: The job in that case was getting us coffee,
2: but yeah, Yeah, I've I've done that a couple of times.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could go into the corner and puke, but as long as you come back strong and go through another 500 companies, that's, it's, it's all, it's all fine. You pushed yourself, you had your moment, you come back, but you roll around on the ground. It's not something, you know, I love
2: uh, when, when you do find a company though, like there's been times where, you know, it's, you know. 10 o'clock and all of a sudden i think i found an opportunity and i'll you know call ryan or aaron i'll be like you know it's obviously out of work hours but it's like hey this is interesting you should look at this you know so it's like it is fun it's kind of exhilarating you know, yeah. not that you get any adrenaline, but uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting.
0: Oh, you do! I, I swear, I said it on the podcast before. You go through a thousand companies, you find one that you think can you know be a, a huge winner over the long term, the one that's mispriced for our clients. It's exactly like Andy Dufresne in Shawshank. <laughs> you crawl through a river of you love that analogy turds basically, and you come out on the other side, and the rain's going, and you're cleaning yourself off. That's how we feel. Yeah, that, and, and, and then if five you can minutes get that later, you
1: find something else about the company that yeah. you know
0: that's a piece of crap. Uh, yeah, then pre- the, yeah, you're back in you're back into the sewer again. Yeah, but awesome. you know, once in a while, you do find those businesses. Yeah. So, anyways, just building, l- Let's get into our mailbag. Or do you got you got something?
2: Else? All I wanted to say. All I wanted to say is just building off of the sports. I did think it was interesting last weekend. I uh, had the chance to uh-huh. watch the uh, Fortinet Golf Championship. Um so I think it's cool mm-hmm. a company that is under coverage a great performer you know is uh, sponsoring a uh a golf tournament and I love golf uh, so I thought it was great and I also just want to add Max Homa did win and my parents think that I am a spitting image of Max Homa you be the judge but uh anyways that's all I wanted to we'll, say We'll look them up. Yeah, we, look him up. We listeners. didn't hear
0: this ahead of time but we'll definitely uh, Aaron's looking them up right now <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um but yeah, we—it's along those lines. I mean, we—I remember we—we we saw. Uh, I think it was IndyCar uh, circuit car know. with that expel <laughs> yeah, No,
1: ma- <laughs> you're no Max Homa. Brandon. This, this is no right.
0: Max Homa. <laughs> I agree.
1: You're more like Max Power. The beard, yeah.
2: This is yeah, just what know, my parents man. tell me. Hey, I didn't. Uh, I didn't claim the the glory, you know. So, yeah.
1: Or shall we say, ma, ma- Max-, Max Homa is no, no. Brennan
0: Hobbler. Yeah, I, I like that. Yes,
1: a bit. yes, yes. I, that's uh, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. I think
0: I think you're more. Uh, you look more like Max Bernier. That's who you look like. <laughs> 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 Let's not get into that at all. Uh, anyways, yeah. No, all right. We're moving on. Uh, Let's get on to our mailbag. We had a few questions for our Ask Us Anything segment. Um, This question, my question, I'm going to read it out here. It says, my question, I love your service and podcast. I have been mostly investing using another stock picking service. Oh, uh, we don't want to talk about that. No, I'm kidding. Where the volume of stocks was high. After six months with that service, my portfolio had 49 stocks. And there were more stocks being discussed daily. My portfolio became hard to manage and performance was poor. On your general advice, I have pared down my holdings. Generally, how many stocks should I hold? Lindsay, that was sent in via email. Okay, Lindsay, well, it's a great question. And I'm not here, we don't, not here on this podcast to throw shade on other advisors or stock picking services, um, but getting 49 buy recommendations in six months is is really silly on many levels number one uh, the I would say this criteria that they're using is not stringent enough if you're finding 49 stocks that are great buys in six months uh, we typically look at thousands of companies to get you you know three to five recommendations over that period um, in fact in an average year we're maybe targeting 10 to 15 across our services and if the value is not there it can be less if we found 25 stocks we would but we're really the whole point is quality over quantity number two would be that with 49 stocks you basically bought the market uh there's a if you have any decent degree of diversification in there uh less fees Uh, you're just paying too many fees and um you might as well just buy an e- market ETF at that point and you'll pay less fees and you'll just perform at the market. Uh, what we generally suggest is 15 to 25 stocks. That's the sweet spot. We want our clients' portfolios to fall within. I always say this diversification makes sense to a point. Generally, you don't want to have two to three stocks even if like, we or you have put in all the research in the world. It's too much what we call company specific risk. I give this extreme example all the time. If you were going to hold stock in Tesla, that's a CEO-driven company. Uh, if its CEO, Tesla, Elon Musk, was, heaven forbid, to pass away, that would likely have a negative effect on the stock. You cannot mitigate this company-specific risk away if Tesla is one or two or three stocks you own. So that would be well under-diversified. But if it's one of 20 You can handle it, and you can help allay that company-specific risk. On the flip side, we say no point in buying 50 to 150-plus stocks, creating a complex, fee-heavy portfolio that mirrors the market. That's diversification. That's financial humor for you. So if you look at modern portfolio theory, you really get little benefit from adding just anywhere past 20 stocks to a reasonably diversified portfolio. So if you have those 40, 50, 150 stocks, all you do, again, you have that complex fee heavy portfolio. It's hard to manage. You'll underperform the market due to those fees. It's not what anybody should be looking to accomplish. 15 to 25 stocks is our sweet spot. Do you guys want to add anything to that? No, I think you'd hit Just the Just to the
1: original question when you're um mm-hmm. when you're Looking at a service that provides a large number of stocks, right? And we, we've seen yeah, there are many services out there. Many. You know that might be decent in some cases for somebody who also really wants to do a lot of research on their own. Like you're, you know, you want to get three to five hundred companies that you can research. But um, if for for building a portfolio, as you say, it can actually be very overwhelming, and that's the feedback that we've gotten from people. Too much is just overwhelming. I mean, it doesn't really help you if you are provided with three hundred stocks or hundred stocks, and you want to reduce that down to twenty to thirty stocks um, or less, unless you, you're basically still having to do a lot of a lot of analysis yourself. So, um, just as you said, Ryan, we believe in a more focused approach, a more simplified approach, um, yeah. by by just you know smaller volume, more focus, um, and just making things less complicated.
0: Good. Yeah. So question two from the mailbag today builds off question one. So I thought I'd add it. Uh, I The question comes in from Ronnie S. I've heard you talk about building a stock portfolio with 20 individual stocks. Can you give me quick steps on how that process would work in practice? And they he goes on to say, thanks. I bought Photon Control several years ago, just got a big cash payout on the acquisition, looking to reinvest. Hopefully we see some new recommendations yeah we are looking through a number of companies so we should have some new recommendations upcoming as far as the process it's a great question we get this and we talk about this in our webinars all the time we kind of call our strategy focus diversification you're looking to build that 15 to 25 stock portfolio but gradually over a 12 to 24 month period and that is key why do we want you to not buy 25 stocks on day one? Well, it reduce, first of all, we're not likely going to have 25 screaming buys that we can have, but if, if you give us 24 months over that period, we can likely get you closer to that number. If you don't buy all at once, it reduces your risk or exposure to short-term market corrections. This is a strategy we have employed for decades uh, with success. Provides flexibility to add positions as new opportunities come available. We're always looking we're in the process right now in the US of looking at over 4,000 companies and we will likely come up with some recommendations based on that So as we add new companies or as companies existing coverage come into a better buying range You can add those over time. So the process itself is really quite simple. You use our stock recommendations via our client dashboard or you're emailed our buy, sell, and hold reports that you're sent each month. Now, for example, if you became a client today, you can start with three to five initial positions. Uh, And then following that, every quarter, so three to four months, you're adding two to three new stocks as we come out with new research and new research is available. You don't always have to, we put this, uh, you know, we add strategy as well. You don't always have to buy your, if you're, Say it was 20 stocks you were going to buy and you were going to buy 10000 in each. You had $200,000 to employ, uh, an equal weighted $10,000 in each. You don't have to buy that full $10,000 or full position uh, on your first buy. We will provide advice saying buy a half position. So half of your $10,000 purchase in one of those individual stocks would be $5,000. You can underweight that position and gradually add to it as we advise over time. So hopefully that makes sense, gets you started, how many stocks you could buy, and a simple process for employing that strategy. That's what we provide all the time. I'm glad we had those questions to answer this week. Keep your questions coming into our Ask Us Anything segment, and we'll, you know, anything financial we can answer. Stock related, we'd prefer, but, you know, anything in the financial markets we can offer. Yeah, I got one more. Brennan, you had one, or did you guys want to add on that, or do you want to add your last question?
1: I have nothing to add there. I I think that was, that was good
0: good yeah perfect and uh, um, i've also Brandon, got, a you got a another question, right? yeah
2: I ha- i've got a question twitter um on twitter so as well you know email us those ask us anything uh, tag us on twitter you know we'll try to answer it as soon as we can uh, so this comes in from at graham voter he says markets are down but key stock picks are up are companies with strong value and cash on hand also a hedge against volatility like gold question mark so do you guys want to take that
0: yeah, I mean, I can start in terms of, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, there's been a downturn in the markets generally, but I mean, there's, it's not in all market segments. We've seen an uptick, like, because we do research in different areas, we're in small cap growth year oriented value and growth names also into consistent dividend, dividend growth stocks, and then, you know, larger U S companies and value U S companies as well. Um, you know, for the course of this year, we've seen uh, a shift into some of the quality dividend payers. Like, for example, Aaron, you recommended Boardwalk at the um, at the World Outlook Conference, but we had recommended it to clients earlier. Uh, it's had a tremendous performance this year. I think it's up forty percent, not even including the dividend. You know, for you, know, your little traditional boring little REIT, right? So not little, but boring REIT that has had a tremendous gain this year. So we've seen her cycling into that segment. Uh, Some of our big U.S. tech names have performed tremendously well this year. So, you know, it it just kind of shows you the importance of having that 15 to 25 stock portfolio, but diversified across, you know, you have some large cap US tech, you have some Canadian REITs, solid dividend growth stocks, sprinkle in some of the uh, smaller cap names that have value as well. Uh, and then you can have, if one segment of your portfolio isn't performing well, it, the returns can be pulled up by another segment because the market's always shifting in sentiment. We've talked about that uh, just in the last uh, couple months on the podcast. So Aaron, any thoughts on that?
1: It's it's really as you said it's it's just about it's about mixing the different types of companies and there's always uh-huh. a focus on good solid fundamentals meaning a profitable yeah. business a companies that's growing um, that whatever the business model is that it has staying power and, and some visibility in it um, but as you said I mean some of the companies that we that we like to invest in are those staple um, infrastructure style businesses that produce stable cash flow, good dividends, growing the dividends over time, but it's not necessarily going to be um, you know, knock the hat off your head kind of growth, but it's good consistent growth over time. Those are what we'd consider more defensive names so the growth element and then there's other ones that are you know, have a more exciting level of growth, but that are going to be higher risk, More right? volatile
0: though, right? Yeah, You're exactly. going to like if you look at the Canadian small cap like 80 almost 89% average return last year you would expect a bit of a pullback right so it and likely in the the more income related names weren't what the, the sentiment wasn't with that segment last year so then you're, you're seeing a shift to that this year now over the long term you know it doesn't really phase us from year to year what a particular portfolio does we're going to look three to five years out to see what our blended overall portfolio does but you're going to expect some uh, sentiment shifts there's a lot of short term money in the market and you're going to see that but you know the overall theme is and you talked about you know good solid cash producing businesses in those segments all of the companies whether it be a growth oriented company a dividend growth stock, one of the largest tech stocks. You know, several that we recommend and have been in our portfolio for years now. All of them still tick off all the same boxes in terms of having good balance sheets, good reasonable growth prospects, trading at reasonable prices. So yeah, we have that theme all across these segments. As the hot money shifts around from you know growth to value to income, uh, you know your portfolio should have. Some of each of those within it if you're in an overall diversified portfolio and you expect from year to year one or two of the segments to outperform the others and one to lag and then it probably picks up in a year or two from then so that's the way we why we construct a portfolio in that manner so hopefully that answers that question and we can move to our your stock our take segments it's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call your stock take: buy sell or hold uh we can start with hollister biosciences aaron i think that came in from ramon via youtube YouTube,
1: uh he said can you take a look at hollister biosciences in my opinion very undervalued so happy to do that hollister biosciences the symbol is holl on the canadian exchange it's a 24 cent stock price a 65 million dollar market cap Uh, what this company does they are a licensed manufacturer and distributor of recreational cannabis and cannabis products in the states of California and Arizona right now. Uh, So some key points uh, that I'll look at that I'll cover Uh, first of all most microcap cannabis stocks don't have any financials to speak of meaning no revenue or profit. Thankfully Hollister does have some decent numbers that we can dig into. Revenue for Q2 was $17.6 million US, an increase of 107% year over year. And for the first six months of the year, revenue was 40.7 million US, up 330%. Hollister also reported profitability during the first two quarters of 2021 of about 3.5 million or one cent per share. With about 300 million shares outstanding, the company has to produce pretty significant earnings in order to register a decent amount of earnings per share. I would expect to see a share consolidation at some point. Uh, the company is targeting revenue of 70 million uh, for the full year of 2021. No mention of earnings guidance, but this would be up from revenue of 30 million in 2020. And the balance sheet is decent with about 7 million in cash and just under 4 million in debt. So a few a few takeaways here, first off, I, I like The U.S. focus, I like the strong revenue growth. There is a limited market in in Canada, which is quite saturated. We've definitely seen better opportunities in the much larger developing U.S. cannabis market. Uh, And the revenue that the company is producing um, right away puts them well ahead of most publicly traded cannabis stocks in U.S. or, or in Canada. Uh, The company also reports an insider ownership of 50%. We like to see management and board aligned with shareholders primarily for growth-oriented microcap stocks. There is that small amount of profitability which again puts the company well ahead the vast majority of other listed cannabis companies. Uh, But on on the other side, looking at the other end of the equation, one thing that I think the company could do a better job of is explaining their story and the growth opportunity The company does provide some information on their products and markets, but after reviewing the press release, the corporate presentation, the MD&A, I wasn't really left with a great understanding of what will differentiate this company from its competitors. There is certainly a lot of growth in the U.S. cannabis market, uh, but there's also a lot of competition, and that competition is going to increase in the future. The best answer that I can see as far as how this company is gonna differentiate itself from its competitors or what the advantage is right now is that they're already well established in a few markets with, with some brands. Uh, so this is uh, this is certainly a factor, but it's, um, it may not be enough given the size of the company. Profitability while present is still relatively small. And then also revenue uh, was actually down from Q1 uh, and Q2 from Q1. And it it is expected to be lower in the second half of 2021 relative to the first half. So overall, I think that there are some decent fundamentals here, but it is a smaller operator still. It's it's high risk. It's higher risk. And the story is still developing in the sense that the sustainability of the revenue growth and the profitability are more uncertain than we would like. We have a company that we prefer in the cannabis space, which is much more established with more clear competitive advantages. For Keystone, uh, Hollister is a company we certainly would monitor it. As I said, it does have some good fundamentals, potentially some, some good potential going forward. We would be looking closely at the profitability over the next few quarters and into 2022, and as well any changes in the pace of revenue growth and developments in the growth strategy. Certainly a company that we can learn more about and monitor over time. But it's not something I would necessarily rush out um, to buy right now. Certainly not in in any type of a large quantity.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a company we have on our monitor list. Um, the growth solid this year. The thing Aaron pointed out, declining revenues over the second half of this year, expected versus the first half. That would be something we keep a you know a watch on. It is profitable in the last quarter, which is nice. Uh, w- Fully diluted, about over 300 million shares outstanding. So it's still less than half a cent per share in that quarter. And that would, that's what happens when you have such a large uh, amount of shares outstanding. Uh, so, you know, it's one that we continue to monitor and uh, may go further into a good insider ownership, which is like what we like to see. Uh, but we do have a name in that sector right now that we prefer uh, significantly larger trading at reasonable valuations as well. So, Brennan, you've got uh, the next Your Stock, Our Take. It's time we answer a question on your stock. In a little segment, we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. That was sent in uh, about a company that we actually we touched on, a company that owns about, what, 10% of the shares Correct. in this. Uh, but it's HPQ, Silicon Resources, Inc., uh you're gonna quebec based company you're gonna you're gonna dig into this one you bet so
2: this came in from evan and he just said would be interested to hear your take on hpq silicon resources uh so as ryan said hpq silicon resources hpq on the tsx venture currently trading at a price of about 69 cents and a market cap of 229 million So the company specializes in the exploration of quartz located in Quebec, as well as development for its transformation into silicon, uh, which is essentially important for uh, batteries as well as EV vehicles, of course. Uh, And their key property right now is the Roncaview property. Um, And I believe they did some drilling in 2017, but I don't know too much about that project. I believe they're focusing more on their technology. So let's look at that technology right now. So they've got three primary developments right now. They've got their pure VAP quartz reduction reactors. And this technology is supposed to be a new green and low cost process that will allow HPQ to transform quartz into silicon metal. And it's this silicon metal that is uh, important in uh, lithium ion batteries, from my understanding. And they do have a 50 million ton per year pilot plant. Again, I'll say pilot plant about to start in Q4 of 2021. Their second technology is their Pure Vap nano silicon reactor and this is a new process that will allow HPQ to go higher up into the silicon value chain by transforming the silicon produced by the previous technology into the nano materials uh, that batteries and EV manufacturers are looking for um, now right now they're still just doing very small scale testing um, so nothing substantial quite there yet and then their last technology a new plasma based process that could convert silica into fume silica in one step and they plan to have a 50 million ton per year pilot plant starting in Q4 of 2022. Um, so as you can see, you know there's some catalysts coming coming up um, but n- you know nothing substantial quite yet. Now, uh, as Ryan said, we did bring up Pyrogenesis in, uh, I believe, last week's podcast, and this company actually made a strategic investment uh, in HPQ of about 10% of the company's fully diluted shares, Uh, and essentially the reason for the investment is to expand their role as HPQ's technology uh, provider for uh, the family of silicon processes, you know, could potentially benefit Pyrogenesis. now, looking at the company's financial results, there's still no revenue. The company lost about $1 million uh, last quarter. Uh, so generally, we would still highlight the company as speculative. And at June 30th, the company had about $7.6 million in cash and about $1 million in debt. And like the previous company, uh, the cannabis company we just ta- discussed, uh, this company's share count is very high at about 360 million shares fully diluted. So considering the company is not even making a dime in earnings or generating any revenue, they'll definitely have to uh, have more dilution in the future to uh, keep their research and development and CapEx going. So keep that in mind. So, you know, really, this is an easy one to uh, analyze. Generally speaking, it's an interesting story. The company is addressing lithium-ion battery technology and the EV market, which, of course, could be a huge opportunity. Now, if the technology development pays off the com- and the company is able to prove upon its pilot plants coming online and begin generating sales, you know, an, an investment in this company could potentially pay off. But, and this is a huge but, As we have mentioned with other companies based on a technology which is still under development like Cielo Waste Solutions, we are not scientists or experts in the process of turning quartz into silicon metal. So we are completely relying on our trust that management is on the precipice of a great technology. And the question you would need to ask yourself is whether you want to place your hard earned dollars in something that you may not truly understand. Now, I should also add here um, that, you know, you could speculate that maybe pyrogenesis could buy hpq but again this is a huge speculation and we wouldn't you know tell anyone to invest on a company you know based on a buyout so at the end of the day you know it is good to see some catalysts they're bringing on some pilot plants essentially but ultimately we would stay on the sidelines until we have more confidence in the business's proof of concept
0: yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a classic case. We often separate small cap companies uh, into concept versus proof of concept stocks. HPQ, whatever the promise, remains what we would call a concept stock. Until a company has posted sales and then posted cash flow from those sales, it is a concept. Uh, this type of business holds a higher degree of risk. Um, there are many companies out there that have the same market cap as this company or valuation that the market is giving them which already have sales and earnings and have similar upside with less downside because they have, like Brendan said, that proof of concept. I'm not saying that one cannot speculate on a stock such as this, but like I said, it's higher risk. And the strategy of composing your portfolio with say 15 to 25 stocks that are just concept at that stage, it's a bad one. It is a poor strategy. I'm going to flat out tell you that right now. We prefer to have our clients compose their portfolios of 15 to 25 stocks that have a different profile, one that includes revenues and cash flow as a basic proof of concept to start at minimum. It's a market fallacy that once the company has a proof of concept, they have sales and cash flow, that you've already missed out. That is not the case. I'll give you many examples. I'll give you a couple right now. The best performing stock for the last 13, 14 years in all of Canada had a significant, Boyd Group, had a significant proof of concept when we recommended it, It had cash flow, had earnings, and traded at reasonable valuations. It also had all the blue sky upside that many of the concept stocks that you're pushed on today have. Now, it actually achieved these blue sky returns up over 10,000% over that time. The same could be said for a company like Expel. Literally the best performing company basically to come out of Canada in the past three, four years. Uh, proof of concept, profitable growth, extreme upside potential, stock went from $1.40 to it trades at $80, $85 today. Again, you don't have to sacrifice that blue sky upside to have these companies that already have the proof of concept. If you invest in concept stocks, you also have that extreme downside. You even you have downside when you even have investing in proof of concept stocks with cash flow and earnings. Uh, you're trying to mitigate that downside to, with an actual business uh, relative to a company that has no proof of concept that can go to zero if it if things don't work out in line with what the expectations exactly. are. Exactly. So hopefully that you makes know, that sense. That
2: proof of yeah. concept, like. Like when a company has a proof of concept, the risk to reward profile is way more attractive. You know, like you said, if all of us, if it is yeah, that's just, what yeah
0: the risk to reward. Yeah, it's a key exactly. point exactly. Yeah. If yeah. it's
2: just concept, that risk is way you know it's way more reward. Well, I mean, you still have the potential for the reward, but you know that risk is. You know what's Warren Buffett's number one uh, rule of investing? Don't lose money. What's Warren Buffett's number two rule of investing? Refer to rule number one, don't lose money, you know? So again, yeah. that's what we're looking at. Yeah.
0: yeah, for sure. All right. Now, I think that finishes it off. Aaron, you got nothing left, right? I, You're I done. Did, what, you how drained. can I
1: improve on perfection, you guys? You I guys don't it at all, at all out point, there, so. it's true. Okay. Well, it's
0: because you did limited talking today, right? So that's the oh. Now, okay. Keep your questions coming into our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Ask us anything. Keep rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Uh, We can keep uh, pumping out the good content that we do on a weekly basis. I'd like to thank everybody for listening and wish you all, as always, profitable investing.
1: Thank you all, profitable investing. Thanks, everyone.